and welcome to the Light Plus podcast from Lighthouse. My name's Eva Rosen and I'm the curator in residence at Lighthouse between January and July 2019. This series of Light Plus is part of a programme of projects and events called Who's Doing the Washing Up and Where's the Sink? I'll be talking to artists, users, workers and collaborators whom I've been working with about the role of hospitality in arts organisations and specifically at Lighthouse. Today we're in the Platform B studio with Claudia Treacher and Violetta Marchenkova from Brighton-based queer feminist collective Devil's Dyke Network, who regularly put on art, poetry and performance in the city. They'll be talking to Alia Hussein and Anna Bunting Branch about their collaborative project Potential Worlds, which came to Lighthouse in April 2019. Hi Anna and Alia, who are... On the phone, we're in a Platform B studio and it's a really weird experience because we're sitting on these very tall chairs and there are these big mics in front of our faces. And and I can only see one of Violetta's eyes and Anna and Alia's voices are being piped into our ears. So they're not here in person, they're they're on the phone. (laughs) So I suppose, should we just kick straight off and talk about potential worlds and feminist language building yeah i mean how long has it been since we all saw each other april so quite a long time yeah three months yeah how did the workshop go for you do you think i mean we were obviously in um, one of your workshops that you did but how do you think they went well i think for me it was really it was a real pleasure to be able to revisit it in a different context because when we were in Bergen, it was very much an experiment. It was the first time that me and Alia had worked together. And so a lot of it then was kind of, well, we did the workshop first, but then almost a lot of the kind of thinking about it and kind of thinking about what, how we worked through the process and the materials kind of came out in the residency after the workshop. So then it was really wonderful to be able to bring it to Brighton and to kind of come at it also with maybe slightly more direction in a way, responding to some of Eva's questions around the institution of Lighthouse. And yeah, so I think it felt for me more directed somehow, which I thought was quite interesting to set those kind of limits around it. Yeah, I completely agree. It was really nice to revisit it with all this material that we'd sort of experimented with and gathered from Bergen. And just to kind of have that time and space and opportunity to tweak a couple of points, but also whilst retaining the experimental aspect, but with just a bit more of a framework. Cool. So just to clarify, we were working on the idea of, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, Laden? Is that how you pronounce the, the language yeah, made up? That will do, yeah. And it was kind of your your take on what it means to construct words around women's experiences. I wondered if you wanted to speak more about just kind of that process. We are using Lardan as an inspiration, not necessarily adding to the language of Lardan, but using an idea that was within Lardan that Elgin had about the lexical gaps in language. So we really kind of honed in on that idea as a concept to look at these spaces and gaps and places in language that weren't that easy to express rather than necessarily using Lardan as its own language and adding to that. So we weren't necessarily adding into that, just kind of pinging off from from this idea. 
And that's where the title of the workshop comes from, that idea of the lexical gap. So Elgin called these gaps in language where a perception or a feeling or an idea just doesn't have a word. Um, so she called that potential words, that the gap held within it, this potential where something else could form and could be created and something which maybe didn't just submit to the logic of the wider language. And so that was kind of where this idea for the framing for the workshop really came from. But all of the the processes and the kind of way of thinking also about language beyond something written or spoken and actually thinking about language as a gesture and a gesture that's recorded in sound as well as being recorded in image. And so a lot of that idea in the kind of in our way of thinking about the framing for the workshop, something that for us as kind of artists also was really important was to kind of move from something which was very kind of traditionally discursive in the beginning of the workshop. So we speak, we introduce it, we talk about Lardan. It's important for us to kind of cite that as a reference and to kind of share it because it's not a very well-known project, but it's a really exciting project and there's a lot kind of within it, I think, to unpack. So we kind of start with that, asking people to share a bit about themselves, thinking about the different languages that they speak, or maybe not that they speak, but that they understand or that they have kind of been immersed in at different times in their life. And then as the workshop goes on, something that was really, really important to us, and I think this is something that we also kind of identified a bit more maybe in Bergen, something of like the power of this and tried to make a bit more space for it in Brighton, is to really move away from speaking English, speaking in a kind of traditional way to something where it's much more about creating a different kind of vocabulary and a different kind of being together in sound and in this kind of embodied like language that that happens when you're working with the print and the objects and the mics. So for us, it's in that moving away from that original source. That's quite important, I think, to our shared interest in it as well, which really also comes from our practices as artists, really, as much as kind of a research sort of background. And so do you think that that change from looking specifically at words to looking at different kinds of gestures, you said the sound and the image, do you think you made that shift because of a need that's kind of developed from the 1980s to now? Yeah, do you think that there's a difference there in time or do you think there are still the same sorts of needs and you're just responding to it differently? I think in a way, the thing which interests me, I think about what Lardam proposes or that like is in the conversation around that is that it's always about gaps. It's always about something which fails and something which can't be expressed. And it's like kind of going back over that and like working back through that process again, if you like. And so I think it's kind of interesting for me because I think the Lardan experiment kind of opens up a lot of questions about language, about identity, about also working collectively. It was always a collective language. And part of that was people responding to what Elgin had proposed as the kind of core vocabulary and saying, well, what about this experience? Or what about that experience? Or what about a lesbian experience? Or what about a clitoris, like all of these things that she hadn't put into her first draft, if you like, of this vocabulary. And so I think in a way, some of those questions are already contained within that, the history of Lardan and it's kind of, it's failure or it's kind of her own kind of self 
reflection on it as a kind of failed experiment. Yeah, I feel like Elgin, in some of when she was talking about saying that like Lardan is not my language, it's a language Mm. constructed by one woman, but like for all women. And I think that she maybe, I feel like she would have known that there's no way she could have done everything as one person. And that model, like having it be really open and collaborative and open to different experience, different ways of being, ways of thinking, I think that's really integral to Lardan and also to how we were setting up the project to have like different inputs from different experiences. Yeah, and then I think also it's kind of interesting in terms of like in a way we thinking about this kind of elements of the Lardan project being a kind of method that we could sort of use, but actually it was also about bringing our own experiences to that and so the process of the contact mics and the printmaking and the gesture that really comes out of Alia's practice and this way of kind of building up soundscapes and working with mark making in that way there's a lot that's shared in our practice but then there was also we kind of had a lot of different access points if you like Um, Mm -hmm. to do with world building or science fiction or the idea of language and so bringing these things together and kind of taking the language more into that yeah a different kind of vocabulary of gesture and touch and sound that was something that really came from our dialogue with each other in a way Mm -hmm. so yeah. I know that your workshop instructions and materials are all available online for people to use so I guess I was hoping to find out What would be your hope for this project when it goes outside, outside of your practice and like into communities? I think the reason we did that when we were setting up what this project was going to be, and that was kind of after the first workshop and then we had this sort of week-long residency, then we could really get into the idea of, okay, we want to create this space, create this dictionary and add in all this information. But a lot of it was thinking about it as an ongoing archive of things that could be added to. Again, thinking about how Lardan was constructed, it was always going to be added to. And I think we also were thinking we didn't want to just be the like authors of that or the way the only people who would kind of guide it or set the conditions for it. So We wanted to put the workshop information, the resources, exactly what we did online so that people could use it. But also, I mean, hopefully not even just use ours, like look at other ways of adding to it and like maybe changing the workshop style slightly. I think because we set it out as an experiment, we wanted to keep it open even after we'd done the first set. And yet opening it out to other people to work with kind of is in that same spirit of experimentation we didn't want to just be like right we've done this this is how it is it's quite nice to sort of set it free i like what you mentioned about the archive i was thinking about language and relationships recently and how the strongest maybe not the strongest but like really strong relationships that you see around you in the family or like friends or like Mm -hmm. romantic partners all of them almost invent their own language that they talk in with each other kind of like inside jokes or like references that nobody else understands and how it is creating a world between people but then 
how do we go further from that, from just one-on-one? And I think the archive really puts it together. Like you create these micro-worlds, but then you have to share them and connect with the other people as well. And in a way, I guess that's the kind of the difference maybe with the type of languages that we're sort of pushing it towards in some ways is that because of the nature of the words that we develop in the workshop, they're always going to be open-ended. The kind of issue around sort of, I'm thinking about like particular languages that come up in communities, for example, and then can be appropriated in a different context or can be, or are kind of taken up in other contexts. And in a way, something which is quite useful or maybe like stays perpetually open with this is that actually those kind of words, images, sounds, they're so strange in a way that they kind of resist that sort of capture. Um, I find that quite interesting when, when I'm kind of talking to people about and they're like, oh, so what is the, the word? And it's like, oh, well, you're looking at the word or you're hearing the word. You're he- no, yeah. like, um, and it's a combination of looking and listening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think um, it was something which I was also thinking a bit about in terms of the network that you're kind of building up with Devil's Dyke. And I was thinking about this relationship there between like personal, like intimate relationships and this idea of a kind of relationship between like a closed group and an open group to an extent. And kind of, I wonder if there's something, if that's something that you think about as well with language and the language that you share. And then there's these kind of different ways of like opening it up, if you know what I mean. You're kind of a first audience maybe for each other and then that builds up to a different kind of audience with a wider public and so I don't know if there's also some maybe relationship there in terms of how you all think about language. I mean I think it's a bit of a weird one because quite often lots of similar people keep coming back and again and again to the events so it becomes sort of like a community and so there's there's ways of talking and ways of understanding each other that we kind of come up with in the the kind of organizing group just through the process of organizing together but then I think it all sorts of bleeds out and bleeds in as well from Mm. everybody who comes to the events as well there's something about being a kind of first audience somehow for each other you know like even if that's to do with how do you work together how do you talk together you know like collaboration is really difficult and so in a way it's like there's that process I suppose there's that conversation and then together you also make possible that that work is your each of your works is kind of then opened up to a wider group a wider public and so I was kind of interested in in that dynamic Mm, I I can really relate to the whole first audience thing because I would never be able to do it on my own like there Mm. would be too many doubts and having this group of people that you trust and that just keep telling you that it's all going to be fine and that you're brilliant that really builds up that confidence within the group and then we do these events to uplift other people as well and it's all like these waves that kind of like depend on each other like if I don't uplift somebody like me I don't feel uplifted as well like if somebody like me doesn't have space I won't be the first person to claim that space yeah I mean there was a kind of joke between me and another organising member called Nahal where she had never really performed any of her poetry before, I don't think. And I was kind of pushing, oh, you've got to perform, you've got to perform. And then she did and then 
at the next event, I think she kind of got up on stage and said, right, now, Claudia, you've never performed on stage, so you have to perform. It's kind of that (laughs) weird, like, but it's also understanding each other's backgrounds and, and like you said, the kind of access points. Well, at the same time, not understanding each other at all, really. Maybe that's part of the gap in, in your kind of language making project is that you're trying to reach across that gap, but you'll never actually really get there. I think after almost two years of running Devil's Dyke, now more than ever, I understand how the dynamic within the smaller group affects everything we do. Like if the group is good and healthy, the event would be good. And it's all about building those microcosms that are good and then hopefully changing the environment bit by bit. I wanted to laugh when you said healthy because so many of us have <laughs> kind of... Oh, it's never like 100% <laughs> healthy. <laughs> so it's, again, you're, we're using words and, and I don't know, Anna and Alia, if you... I don't know how you relate to the sense of what is a kind of a good working network or relationship <laughs> and what what isn't. And, and even if you are both really stressed or full of anxiety or depression or, or you have your own illnesses going on, yeah, the point at which it, it's still flowing really beautifully and yeah. what you understand by that. I mean, there could be a lot of difficult situations, but then you would come over to me and tell me, that it's just birthing pains, you know, it's just birthing pains, it will pass. And that's where words help. I like coming up with words with you. This sounds like it goes back to your idea about how when you're in these close groups of friends, you do invent sort of languages or even not necessarily new languages, but new ways of like using existing words to mean things very specific to the groups, like to your friends who you're working with. Yeah, I think that's really nice. I really like, I think really resonates that this kind of invented language that we all use with close friends and partners, but we're using the tools of the languages that we already have Mm. um, and sort of twisting and changing the meaning of them. For me, I suppose I'm also interested in the collaboration being supportive and kind of nurturing and positive. But also I think there's something really important for me in the um, collaboration being also challenging and and being able to kind of help us to work through things which are quite difficult and I think that actually this kind of shift from an individual into something collaborative and then Mm. but for me and Alio it's kind of between the two of us and with Eva as well and then but obviously for Devil's Dyke it's a bigger group and that has its own challenges I think that's quite a different dynamic than something that's more interpersonal and I'd also quite like to muddy the waters a little bit between the closed and open groups because going back to the theme of understanding and not understanding each other I think especially through forms like poetry sometimes someone from the kind of close friends will perform something that I I really won't understand their words but then someone who has come in just for the evening might go up to them and say well actually that really resonated with me and I understand completely what you were saying and it has nothing to do with whether or not and I know I'm contradicting ourselves because we were talking about close kind of romantic or, mm. or friendships before but it kind of almost has nothing to do with the physical proximity to each other and everything to do about shared experience whether it's race or class mm. or gender or sexuality or Mm. all of them 
and also it's like that's the the point i suppose isn't it is that the the work or the experience or whatever it is can be its own shared experience i mean that's that's got to be kind of the point <laughs> of sort of why also we're thinking you know that's that's the reason why having the closed group allows you to in whatever ways it gives you the support to create something which then has an openness it allows you to be able to be to to kind of open up the work in a different way and it's like it's not they're not an either or that's like one allows the other one to be possible it kind of creates the conditions for the for that other kind of experience to to happen so i think that's also really important you know thinking about the experience of being together in the group of the the workshop that we try and create is like it has to be that kind of way in terms of it's a particular number of people or a particular kind of limited number of people but then it's kind of about what opens up between all those people you know and that that can be a, a much bigger experience in a way it's kind of pockets of flourishing that enable other further flourishings mm. and other pockets and i think we are socialized to yeah be critical of ideas yeah just kind of thinking that there is only space for one thing while mm. the whole experience of i guess creating words together at your workshop was kind of showing that there is no need to destroy one word or one world to yeah mm. create another one well thank you so much i think that that brings us to a neat close and Yeah, it's been really interesting talking over all of your thoughts and and everything and thank you so much for bringing potential worlds to Brighton. I think we all really appreciated the experience of mm. kind of drawing and sounding our 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 words and experiences and I I would really encourage everyone who's maybe listening to this podcast to also check out your website and maybe try out the workshop for themselves. Well, thank you for being involved. It was Yeah, um, thank you so much. It was really wonderful. In the next and final episode of this podcast series, I'll be talking to Lighthouse Head of Operations Emma Wickham about what makes Lighthouse work and what keeps it going. Thanks so much for listening to this Light Plus podcast. If you want to find out more about this event or who's doing the washing up and where's the sink, then head to lighthouse.org.uk. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us either on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts as it helps other people to find us too. Who's doing the washing up and where's the sink is part of Reimagine Europe, a collaboration between Lighthouse and nine other organizations across Europe, co-funded by the Creative Europe program of the European Union. <laughs>